Today, we're chatting with the author of Seeking Certainty and the host of the Rigging the Game podcast about how small businesses can achieve financial certainty and create their own personal wealth algorithm. You definitely don't want to miss this one, so don't you change that dial or drop that phone. We're about to level it up and shatter the mold. Question. In a world where groupthink is the norm, others want what you've earned, and thinking for yourself will get a target painted on your back, how do you flip the script and level up your business, your money, relationships, your health, your status, and your life? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Shattered Mold, Andrew S. Kaplan. Really excited to be here with you today. We've got a really awesome show. Before we get there, though, quick update on the last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read. Uh, thanks to everyone who continues to buy the book, continues to leave those five-star rate reviews, and even continues to email me with feedback, letting me know how you are using the content and how well it is helping you. So I appreciate all of you. Also, welcome to those that saw the article in Yahoo last year or the articles in USA Today and Forbes this year. Uh, I welcome any and all readers in any way, shape, or form that they are learning about this. And of course, if you've not checked out the book yet, you can feel free to go to lastlawofattractionbook.com, which will auto-forward you to the Amazon listing where you can get it in Kindle or paperback or audiobook, or you can see the YouTube channel that's devoted to it. That's youtube.com slash Andrew Cap. With that said, let's dive on in. I'm going to switch mics and we're going to begin our conversation with Dan. Okay, today's guest is a really intriguing one. He helps entrepreneurs achieve what he describes as financial certainty. And we're definitely going to talk about what that means and how business owners can put themselves in a much stronger position in their finances. And I don't want to waste any time here. I want to get straight to the good stuff. So with that in mind, Shatter the Mold warmly welcomes the founder of CertaintyApp.com and EnthegreeCPAs.com, Mr. Dan Nicholson. Dan, thank you so much for being here, my friend. Welcome to Shatter the Mold. Super, uh, super pumped to chat with you today. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm pumped to have this conversation with you. And um, I mean, I guess we'll just so people can understand where you're coming from here, because, um, you know, the, the, the stuff that you're going to be sharing today, I mean, it's, it's been founded on, you know, on, on real understanding of the way finances work. So just to get a quick little bit of background, what got you to where you are right now that you are serving entrepreneurs in this way? Yeah, I have I have sort of a weird background and it confuses people, including my parents and sometimes my spouse as well. So which is uh, probably like maybe like yourself and many listeners uh, grew up sort of the cliche entrepreneurial kid. And then I went off to college and uh, for a variety of reasons, ended up getting an accounting degree and a technology degree. And I thought, OK, combination of the two of those things is just going to be a great skill set to be an entrepreneur. And then I got a fellowship at the board that writes all the accounting standards. And let me tell you, that's about as far away as you can get from entrepreneurship, working with a bunch of PhDs, writing an accounting standard, and specifically writing an accounting standard on derivatives and hedging. Uh, so deep in the finance world, uh, that put me on this whole weird path for a while. And uh, uh, in fact, when I met my now wife, she was a finance and accounting recruiter and I told her I want to get out of accounting and she basically laughed in my face was like ah, based off your resume good 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 luck doing that <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I guess she was right um, so I kind of meandered around for a while um, collecting a bunch of skills and uh, first person in my family to go to college too so I was also kind of dealing with making more money than my parents ever had and and also uh, not liking what I'm doing and so finally I realized 10 years ago 
that there was an opportunity to do something different in the accounting space, disrupt the accounting uh, industry, basically, mm-hmm. and kind of scratch my entrepreneurial itch. So that sort of what is what set me on this this path of, of now trying to help people solve what I call financial certainty. Yeah. Now I'm glad you brought that up because usually, like I hear financial and then a word ending with the syllable e. I always think financial security, and you've gone in a very different, um, you know, wording here. We're talking about financial certainty, and I, since I'm just making the assumption that people, their brains leap to that. Well, one, what is, how do you equate the difference between the two, and how do you really describe what financial certainty really is? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I have not been asked that to sort of bifurcate between security versus certainty, and it's a really good point. So, uh, to me, certain each person has their own unique definition of wealth. This is based off uh, conversations with over 3,000 business owners at this point over the last decade. We all have our own unique definition of wealth. Imagine basically taking your vision board, all the things that you want. That's almost your unique definition of wealth. Like if you funded all of those things, you might say I'm wealthy, right? Um, The problem is, is that the vision board is hard to solve for because it's kind of abstract. Um, What I do is help people convert basically their vision board into a algorithm, what I call the wealth, wealth, their personal wealth algorithm. Um, And if they fund that, they've achieved financial certainty. Um, A piece of financial certainty is security. So everybody has what I call three priorities, three core priorities. They want to pay off debt, have a certain amount of reserves and fund retire their retirement or have enough money where they don't have to work. Those core priorities represent security for folks. Mm -hmm. They can pay all their bills. They don't have to worry about debt. They don't have to worry about working, but they might not still feel like they're wealthy because they want other things. Maybe it's legacy. Maybe it's more time. Those are what I call preference-based priorities. So we got to get the security, fund our core priorities, and then we got to also fund our preference-based priorities to have certainty. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and I'm going to paraphrase and you'll let me know if I'm sure. misquoting or, or mis, you know, misinterpreting, but yeah. the way I hear like what, what financial certainty really is, is you take whatever a person's goal might be, at least from a tangible perspective that they can pay with, with, you know, with money, whether they want a Ford Mustang or they want a specific house or they want a yacht or they want to own the Yankees and you work out the finances of like, well, here's the money that you have to put in at this specific frequency, at this kind of interest rate. And this co- is this really what we're talking about, where you're basically solving for X on the tail end of what they want and knowing what that number has to be? Exactly. Yeah. The, the um, dynamic complexity of, say, someone's vision board is that it cannot be solved unless you put a dollar value to each of those items and a date. Mm-hmm. When do you want to achieve it by? Uh, once you put a dollar value and a date to each of those things, then you be, you can begin to solve for, uh, do you, are you making enough? Do you have enough in assets? So right. if we put each of those items, a dollar value and a date, and then we look at your current assets and your current cash flow. We can calculate basically, uh, are you making enough to hit all those objectives? And if not, how much more do you need to make? Right. And, and I'm making an assumption that obviously this is one of those things where 
the fluidity is that, you know, if they get a raise or if they start a new company and they go either, you know, backwards or forwards in their money situation, the algorithm adjusts and all of a sudden they are making new decisions on their end goal based on the resources they currently have in that moment. Yeah. Right. And you've actually, you made an app around this. The, the cert, let me know if I'm misphrasing. It's a certainty app, right? It's called the certainty app. And part of what it does is it takes your unique wealth uh, definition, sort of your vision board, and it solves it for you. It tells you, based off what you've listed now, can you achieve those priorities? Mm. Uh, if you add something new, if you change the date, uh, add a bunch of different things, change your cash flow, it recalculates and tells you the impact. Did you get closer or further away? It's basically like Google Maps for your finances. You, know, you tell it where you're at now, you tell it where to go, where you want to go. It calculates how long it's going to take you to get there. And then it makes recommendations. Like if you drove 10 miles an hour faster or you took these five shortcuts, you could get there not in 10 hours, but eight hours. So the idea is um, get clarity around what it takes and then let's collapse time. Let's show you how you can get there faster. Understood, understood. Now, that's actually a really interesting part because I imagine that because most people, well, first of all, I think a lot of people are bad at numbers, or at least they're bad in the sense that they haven't done the legwork of understanding numbers. Mm -hmm. I also assume that people, you know, based on a, a lower skill level of numbers, which can be correct in many situations, they're making poorer decisions. So they don't understand that they can get somewhere faster because they really don't understand how or why their money can be directed. They don't understand compound interest. They don't understand things like that. Is that fair to say that a lot of people can't get there faster just because they don't know how, even if they have the resources? Yeah. The, the, the funny thing about finances, maybe not so funny, is that it's like almost everything else in the world is behavior-based. Mm -hmm. Take, for example, the U.S. tax code. Uh, if you're an investor, on average, you pay zero to 20% tax. If you're a big corporation, you pay 25% or less. Individuals, 30 to 50%. Small business owners, 40 to 60%. If you wanted to pay zero to 20% tax, like investors, what all you have to do is change your behavior, behave more like the investor does or behave more like the big corporation. You can access all those same benefits. Mm. Uh, so finance, it's like marketing. It's like operations. It's like HR. It's behavior-based. You just have to understand how the system works. Right. So you can rig it, basically. Um, once you understand the system, then you can modify your behavior to get the outcomes that you want. Interesting. Interesting. Now, I know we're here, we're recording in 2021. And I don't know if anyone's ever asked this for, to you before, but given the fact that this is about, you know, I don't know if asset allocation is the right way word, but certainly resource or financial allocation, which is what's going into play. Do people come to you and try to work in cryptocurrency? whether it's Bitcoin or something else into their planning, is that a part of this or is that something that is left on the outside for specific financial or taxation reasons? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great, great question. And it kind of dovetails into um, what I call the four commandments of financial certainty. Mm -hmm. They're sort of like, if you build an operating system, you have to have a set of assumptions. And so these are the assumptions I call commandments that powers everything. Um, commandment number two is that, uh, we have to understand the difference between preference and binary. So most people try to apply binary frameworks to their money, their finances. Uh, but most of the questions they ask me are preferences. 
It's like, should I grow my business? Should I hire someone? It's like, believe it or not, that's a preference. You don't have to grow your business. Some people are perfectly happy being a team of one. Some people want to have a company of 10,000 both are right. Um, so I do get the questions about uh, cryptocurrency um, and where does this fit in? And that's where we kind of go down this road of, well, there's a degree of preference. There isn't necessarily a right or wrong. So then we have to work through, okay, what are you optimizing towards? What are you trying to get closer to? Um, to determine whether or not that option makes sense. Mm -hmm. right? If somebody's trying to um, have more freedom, just as a tangential example, then hiring a bunch of employees in the short term is not going to give them more freedom, most likely. They're going to have to manage and train all those people. So if you're trying to invest, if you want to invest in cryptocurrency, for example, um, and your number one uh, preference or priority is that you want to buy, um, buy a house in the next two months, then that's probably not a great idea because there's a lot of volatility in the crypto markets. And yeah. you could go from having a down payment to not having a down payment. Mm -hmm. You might yeah, go so from having enough to buy the house outright, but yeah, two, two months, even like five years, there's no way to predict five years with the way things are going to go and which are going to be the winners and the losers. At least most people that, unless they've done like heavy research and even there, you can't be hundred percent sure. Right. Yeah. And that, that's where the dynamic complexity is and where people run away from the numbers is that they want to be able to Google it. Should I invest in cryptocurrency? And they can't get an answer that actually works because it's not binary, it's preference. Should you invest in cryptocurrency? It depends. Depends on what you're actually trying to get closer to. Um, if you're just optimizing for um, net worth, then uh, and trying to fund retirement, it's prob it's potentially a good strategy as part of your overall investment portfolio. But right. again, if you're investing, if you're investing from the perspective that. I want to buy a car in a few months. I want to buy a house um, or these other things that are more immediate. Uh, it's probably a strategy that's going to get you further away. potentially. Got it. Got it. Now you, you bring up preferences, which I think is really a lot more insightful than, than many people might realize until they start to, to really think about it because that really goes into the game. I'm wondering because you do help people with this. What is like the top or one of the top mistakes that people tend to make that hurt them financially, both short-term and or long-term, more than they realize that once shown to them and once they do a quick adjustment, they quickly get on the right track. Yep, yep. Um, so there's a lot of kind of neuroscience that goes into what, if you're trying to rig the game to win from your finances, and we are pre-programmed with a bunch of biases um, where a loss aversion, for example, anchoring bias, um, there's something called the mental accounting bias. Believe it or not, the way we set up our bank accounts impacts whether or not we're going to make the right economic decisions. Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of biases that if we don't fight against those, we can set up the structures to ensure that we win consistently. That's mm -hmm. really what it, part of financial certainty. Let me get the right structures in place so that instead of opting out of bad things happening, you get to opt in to the bad thing happening. So most people's finances are set up in a way where they find out that they're out of money and then they have to do something about it. Rather than having some sort of control, some sort of system that's like, hey, if you do this, this the con here's the consequences. Do you want to proceed? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
the most the most common trend, and again, I'm a data guy, got, did that research fellowship thing, um, uh, something I call the highest month paradigm. And I consistently observe this uh, over thousands of businesses, that the business is at the highest risk in the month that's, uh, that's their highest month in revenue ever, and it represents a milestone for them. Wow. Okay. So if, for example, you're trying to get to seven figures and you get to your highest month in revenue, and when you annualize that, it annualizes to seven figures. And so that's a milestone for you. Well, now human behavior, loss aversion kicks in. You've told the world you have a seven figure business. You never actually had a seven figure business, but loss aversion kicks in. In the three months that follow, people decide they're going to scale their business because they have a seven figure business. They hire a bunch of people, they invest in a bunch of marketing, they do all these things to, to ensure that they have this mythical seven-figure business that they just got there through millionaire math, and then they find themselves in a pit of despair. And that's mm-hmm. the highest my period. So you got to have the systems controls to, doesn't mean you shouldn't scale, but how do we know when to pull back? How do we know how much we can truly invest? So what... Or, you know, what I'm hearing from you here, it's just like really interesting because even as we're talking and, you know, you'd probably first to, to admit it and by nature and, and it's how you're successful. I mean, you're a very, you're a zeros and ones, David, a driven guy because you want nice, predictable things to help people. But it sounds like within the confines of that, or even outside of the confines of that, you help people with their self-awareness because this, as an example, somebody, we tell stories based on different data and we tell stories based on our best month in business or based on our worst worst month. And then we make decisions on that rather than looking at the whole picture. So it sounds to me like part of this process of what you're talking about here of terms of certainty, which I think it's a really good word as, as we have this conversation, financial certainty in that you're actually looking at what's real, what's really happening versus a story that can be told on a portion portion of the data that could lead to either catastrophe or certainly something, you know, on a downtrend if someone isn't careful and they're not aware or self-aware of their biases or of the way they can tell these stories or the way they can point themselves in a wrong direction without meaning to. Is that a fair way to say it? It's a fair way to say it. And um, I learned of this bias called the GI Joe bias. And um, it changed a lot of my, my, um, not my thinking, but, caused me to add an additional step to my almost every process. And I consider myself like most people, very few people would say I'm a, I'm a, I lack self-awareness. Everyone's like, they'll tell, they'll call other people out on their lack of self-awareness, but they, mm-hmm. they assume that they have. Their favorite um, thing to do. <laughs> so the GI Joe bias says that even if you know about all the biases, you're still subject to them. And even if you know about that, you're still subject to it anyways. In other words, there's no way of avoiding it. Mm. You have this, you think about fight or flight. We make uh, on average 6,000 decisions per day. Like, should I move my hands? So I'm crossing the street. How do I make sure they don't get hit by a car? You know, yep. all these little quick, you don't, we don't even think about it. Um, and that's the system one part of our brain. And the system two is like doing math equations and writing a book. And it's the um, really conscious part of our brain. Uh, 
the system one, um, and this is from a book, Thinking Fast and Slow, the system one is the one that's subject to all these biases. I mean, it kind of has to be. How do you make 6,000 decisions in a day unless it's operating at like a really rapid pace, right? Yeah, yeah. So long story long, rather than fighting against the biases, if you want to rig the game to win, assume they exist and then build the system around that. Got it. So let's assume you're going to be subject. Yeah, account for these weaknesses in your approach, knowing that there are weaknesses there so that you can do better. And for those that, uh, that didn't grow up in the 80s, they might be a little young, I'm not sure honestly how young my audience gets but the whole gi joe rule is just because they used to say knowing is half the battle right, right. meaning it's, it's yep. one thing to know but there's more gi joe never meant it in that context in their public service announcements but <laughs> you yeah. know it's knowing is half the battle in the sense for this is like knowing is one thing but what do you do about it and exactly. knowing enough about yourself that you might have these flaws and not assuming that just because you know you've transcended them because that's actually the worst thing that you can do. The worst mistake you can make is make the assumption that you've transcended your flaw just because you think you're aware that you might have one. It's actually the worst thing because you're like, you're actually leaning more into it. You, you become arrogant. And you're not even willing to listen to something that might save you a lot of money or like you said, might give you a lot of financial, um, financial certainty. That's right. Yeah. Rather than assuming you can stay on a strict budget forever, what does the data say? Mm-hmm. Let's, rather than assume that you, you're just going to change and make all these advancements, assume that you're not. Build the system around that. If you happen to modify your behavior, then that's just additional upside. Yeah, got it. But we're eliminating all the potential bad things. It's called creating asymmetric risk, which is I eliminate all of the downsides. So all I have is significant upside. Now, sometimes I might only get a 2x or 3x return, but sometimes I'm going to get a 100x. I love it. Because I eliminated all the bad stuff. I love it. Almost now, every, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm saying, you're saying? Uh, 95% of entrepreneurs that I talk to, what they do is they make bets where the downside is worse than the upside. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be homeless or I'm going to make 50 grand. Well, homeless is probably worse than making 50 grand. Um, that's a asymmetric, but to the downside. Or they make bets that they're equal. I spend a dollar and I make $2 back. The sort of equal downside, the entrepreneurs who consistently crush it make bets where the upside, where they've eliminated all downside and the upside is not 1x or 2x, it's 10, 20, 50, 1,000 times. Mm, I love it. Now, um, this actually brings, because you you've said it in the terminology, you're talking about like rigging the game. I understand you, you have a book that you actually call that, right? Yeah, um, uh, certaintybook.com is, is uh, where you can check out the book, and it's called Rigging the Game, the Four Commandments of Financial Certainty. Mm-hmm. And it's basically my operating system for how I help clients systematically rig the game to win, how we, take, how we acknowledge the biases um, uh, and set up the systems, processes, sort of mechanically to make sure that you consistently win you get the outcomes that you want. Got it. Got it. I think it's important because like, I mean, I'm, I'm not a numbers guy and I don't mean that in a good way. Like I, I force myself to look at numbers just because I think, you know, if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you, you have to, but I, I recognize that the smartest thing I can do personally is, is kind of rely on people that know what they're doing and help me guide me through it. Um, anytime there's like a, a gap in, in my understanding for something and, 
I feel on, that's actually what, one of the reasons why I want to bring you on and have people hear your approach and hear your mindset, because I feel like sometimes even when we're successful, not even when we're doing poorly, we're doing well, we can go like things go really well and we ignore those things that we should be looking at that even if they aren't huge pitfalls, although they might be, we also might be missing out on the possibility of really making a lot more money. And like you were talking about having a much higher upside, you know, someone might have an upside that's giving two X to what they're putting in, where if only they looked at things a little bit differently and got out of their own way, it could go to 10 or 20 X. So that's, that's one of the main reasons why I want to talk about this and, and get you on. And this has been awesome so far. I'm curious, you know, what is one thing people are doing right now, anyone listening, that they that might either, and I'll let you kind of take the floor and, and guide it the way you want, but it could be something where they either enhance their self-awareness or it's one part of their business that they should be looking at that they might not be, or is there one kind of decision or move that someone can make right now that could help them either understand themselves better or really just get themselves in a better scenario financially right now? Yeah, can I, can I do uh, two things? Please. We have time for that? Yeah, man, we'll uh, take a... D- double the value, man. I'll take it. Cool. Uh, one is purely cash flow focused. And this is a good example of just if we eliminate the bad things, uh, the outcome is substantially greater. So uh, look at the last 36 months, if your business around been around for that long, last 36 months, uh, if it's been only around for 10 months, then just look at 10. Uh, and run your P&L, profit and loss statement by week. And just look at them, look at all of the weeks that have a zero, or sorry, have a negative number where you've lost money that week. Change those negatives to just a zero and resum up the amounts. If we just replaced a loss with a break even, usually we more than double our cash flow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, oftentimes, the way that I help people in the, immediately is I just, eliminate the losses. Uh, So once we know, okay, what the weeks are where we have losses and we see how much impact and we look at those weeks and we say, is there a trend? Oftentimes what I see is that people have the same losses, like in the same week or roughly the same weeks every year. So we look at those and we go, what's the trend? Is the trend industry related? So based off the work that I do, say it's accounting firm, you know, we're going to be busier the first three months of the year. So, you know what? May is going to be lean uh, revenue-wise. So I'm taking some losses in May because I'm investing in new stuff when revenue is not there. I should probably stop doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's an industry rhythm. Another is then, is it a business rhythm? Meaning based off decisions I've made, vacation, I'm going to take vacation a certain time. I'm going to do receives checks instead of credit cards, you know, all the business decisions, or is it a you thing? Like I always give the example, I'm grumpier in January. So, cause we pay out bonuses and stuff <laughs> in January. So I'm not allowed to do anything new. So you look at all those and you just figure out, is this an industry thing? Can't really change that. Stop fighting against the industry stuff. Just call a spade a spade. Uh, is it a business decision? And if so, how are you going to change your business decisions? Or is it a you thing? in which case you get some coaching or mindset or whatever it is to stop doing those things. So that's sort of the fastest path to doubling your cash is just eliminate the zero, eliminate the losses and replace them with zeros. Yeah. And just to add one thing on that, we're talking pattern recognition. And also like if you're an accounting firm and you know, May's lean, 
you might try to have some planning involved that will bring in revenue in a different way in that month to make up for it with that understanding, something to keep in mind. Exactly. Yep. Once you know that, then you start planning a year out or several months out of, okay, this is the pattern. How do we, how do we solve that? Uh, So that's sort of a mechanical thing. Uh, The other is, can we play a little game? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, What was your favorite sport or hobby growing up? Basketball. Basketball. Right on. Mine mine too. Uh, What was your, uh, what was the position that you played? Uh, Point guard. Point guard. Okay. What was your style of play? Like hustle, athletic, Um, I guess speed the right way to put it. I mean, just, you know, you know, shoot before they can block you shoot before they're there. Okay. And what was it that you liked about basketball? Uh, Dude, I loved, I love the, the fluidity of it, man. I love the fact that I love the fact that the ball can be anywhere, you know, like baseball, like, you know, there's, you're kind of not, there's anything wrong with baseball, but you're kind of like, there's these stuck fixed points, but basketball, there's so many combinations. You you could really have a lot, basically you could run around you can do so many different things from any part of the court. And it opened up a lot of interesting possibilities. Now uh, in business, how is your style in business similar to the things that you like? How are they similar to your favorite sport? and what you liked about basketball. Mm. Well, I did use the word possibilities. I, I do like to keep things going in that way. Um, this is interesting. Well, so for, for me, business is really, which I guess I'm thinking now retrospectively kind of fits in with basketball. For me, it's just about what can I do consistently and consistently well to build up a strong foundation and create momentum. Mm-hmm. That's a very point guard mentality, right? You got to be consistent, distribute the ball. You know, mm-hmm. gotta, um, so what, what I have, this was taught to me from my uh, coach mentor, Randy Massengale, but uh, he asked me the same things when I first met him. Basketball is my sport um, as well that I feel the closest to. And, and he pointed out to me that basically your default sport or your default style and your favorite sport is usually your ideal default style in business. Hmm. Because when you've got to pick your favorite sport, hobby, usually you got to show up and decide how you, you know, how you play. Like you get to choose. You know, sometimes we have overbearing parents who make us play a sport, but it's sort of like the freest expression of who we are to kind of sound cliche. And so I find that when I'm playing my style uh, in business, that's when I have the most success. When I try and be someone else, when I'm playing out of position. Mm. And uh, so I always want to be shooting guard, I'm willing to take the last shot. Not the most athletically gifted. So I had to make up for it. Hustle. Uh, when I'm playing my default style in business, I'm having the most fun. I'm getting the most results. Generally speaking, when I'm playing out of position, I'm just rebounding. I'm not really happy. I'm missing things, right? I'm kind of in a funk. And so the idea is by studying your default style and your favorite sport or hobby, you can probably figure out your default style in business. And then you can use that to figure out uh, where your weaknesses are. So nice. sometimes I hustle too much. Sometimes I need to pass the ball. It's like, I can't take every shot, even though I want to sometimes. Like so anyhow, thank you for that. I love that. And that's, that's a really good, you know, important lesson just in terms of having integrity with yourself that carries over into your business and yep. having harmony with how you do things and recognizing when there's a lack of harmony so that you can isolate and fix that. So I love that. So from a technical side, we had pattern recognition. And from a personal side, we had 
you know, personality and behavioral recognition. And I think me paraphrasing, but those really come together. So thank you for that. Um, Dan, obviously, before I let you go, if people want to connect further with you, find out more about what you're doing, maybe get, you know, get some help themselves about, you know, with this financial certainty, what's yep. the best way for them to do that? Yeah, the, the two pathways, one, certaintybook.com. Um, you can get in contact with me there. And uh, that's really sort of my operating system for the things that I was talking about, or cert- certainty app, which is a sort of taking the operating system and doing the, doing the work for you. I love it. Awesome. And one final go away question, just, you know, based on your own life experience, you know, if you can go back five, 10, 15, even 20 years in the past and give one piece of important advice, whether it's business or life or or whatever you might be to the younger version of yourself, that younger Dan, what's the one piece of advice that you'd want to give them? Uh, Play your game. So I look at the failures that I've, had in my career and in my personal life. And it was usually because I was playing somebody else's game. Mm, I love it. Mr. Dan Nicholson, this has been really awesome, really intriguing. Um, Thank you so much for coming on and sharing this insight. Thank you for helping me. I mean, give me a new look at at even how I'm doing things. And we, again, we all like to think that we're doing them the right way, but we could always do them a better way. So uh, you've you've taught me a few things and you've given me a, a few new ways of looking at this. So Thanks so much for coming on, man, and, and just giving me your perspective, your well-expert perspective. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you again, Dan. That was an awesome interview. I really appreciate you coming on. Guys, you want to check out certaintybook.com or certaintyapp.com and see what Dan's up to. I highly recommend learning more about what he's got going on. As you can see by this interview, he really knows his stuff. And while I'm giving you reminders of websites to visit, feel free to go to lastlawofattractionbook.com if you want to check out my book, The Last Law of Attraction Book You'll Ever Need to Read, or you can head on over to youtube.com slash Cap. And if you want to check out the YouTube content devoted to the book, and of course, those links that I gave you for Dan will also be available at shatteredamoldpodcast.com, where his episode resides, along with the video YouTube description if you're watching this in video format. With that said, thank you as always for being here. Stay tuned. We've got more awesome guests on the way soon, and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Shatter the Mold at www.shatterthemoldpodcast.com. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold.